Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number seven. My name is Michael Howard, and this week we have a full house. Uh, Mark's back from vacation. We also have Sarah Young, and we have Gladys Rodriguez. We also have a special guest. We have Ryan Markababad, who's from the identity team here at Microsoft. So before we get uh, on to Ryan, let's kick this thing off with how's your security news over the last couple of weeks? Sarah, what we got? I have one of my favorite topics as usual. I have good old AKS, Azure Kubernetes Service. Now that's actually supporting now uh, confidential workloads, which is very cool, which effectively means that, well, it's a private preview, so you do need to sign up for it. But what it means is that you can actually use confidential compute in AKS. So if you have some really, really sensitive workloads that need to be uh, running in a confidential compute environment, you can now look to do that on AKS. Hi, everyone. These past weeks, I have been jumping from helping architect end-to-end solution for one of my customers to continue the work with the security operations service solution that Microsoft Consulting Services provide to customers. Since all the different cloud services keep adding more capability, we need to make sure that the guidance we are providing uh, to customers is up to date. To try to keep up with all the solution changes and the new threats out there, I constantly reading articles, watching webcasts, uh, trying to take certification, talking to different people. And um, one of the articles I read this week was titled Data Breach Reports Down by One-Third in the First Half of 2020. Um, This article mentioned um, that they reported data breaches in the United States dropped by 33% in the first half of 2020. But still, 75% of the reported incidents were due Uh, to external actors. This got me thinking that COVID happened really fast. We all know organizations were not simply ready to deal with remote requirements. Could the drop be that organizations have not found out yet that they have been compromised? Maybe organizations had to shift resources to focus in other needs so the appropriate analysis is, hasn't been done yet. Or maybe they did not have the capabilities to remotely and securely monitor the system. But then yet, let's think positive, it could be that many of the security improvements have been made and all the efforts are finally paying off. But then after I started thinking positive, I read this other article that was talking that one million student records were exposed by e-learning sites. This is dear to me because I have been doing a lot of research in this area and found so many gaps, uh, both in technical and people people and process uh, areas. The lack of knowledge about what is sensitive, what is the proper process and tools uh, to protect data is uh, incredible. People were not accustomed to remote work. They were not 
necessarily aware how to send and receive data that before was handed to them in written form. So how do you send that data now? Processes are not being developed fast enough to guide them to say, hey, you know what? Uh, email is not a secure service unless you use services like write management or other types of encryption or service. But even more, if they cannot use email, um, it is not like there are systems out there that allow them to properly transfer um, the data. Well, there's systems available, but the organization may not necessarily have it deployed. Then again, there's other systems out there that are being used uh, to send forms and fill them out and sign them. But I've been seeing some of the system and they send links through emails and these email links stay active for years. It's not like they're using MFA. So how are they authenticating somebody before that form with sensitive information is displayed? Anyway, there seem to be a lot of opportunity for us to help customers. So uh, hopefully we start engaging soon. Finally, I wanted to remind everyone that there's a lot of Azure Sentinel webcasts coming up. Uh, the next one uh, is July 28th, and each week after that, there's a new one, all the way until September 9th. For more information, just visit aka.ms slash security webinars. And from my side, I have sort of a yin and yang thing here because in many ways, private link is kind of like a continuation of the, the network-based paradigm, kind of pulling those Azure services in. So we got three services that got adopted into that. Azure Automation, Azure Site Recovery, and Signal R are all now in the private link family. And then the other side of it is I actually presented earlier in the week on the Zero Trust Core Principles, part of the Open Group. Um, so I'm a Microsoft's representative to the Open Group, specifically the Security Forum. And we've been working on Zero Trust Core Principles, which, you know, it sort of dawned on me a little bit later as I got into it. The Jericho Forum, for those of you that aren't aware, was really the, the first formal sort of opposition to the perimeterization. They had this uh, deprimitization, but the, the idea that, hey, this security perimeter by putting a network around everything and calling it done isn't enough, it doesn't align to the business, et cetera. So they were the first sort of formal rebels within the security community doing that. And so getting to work with uh, some of them as well as some other smart people and you know, kind of writing the new principles or the new version of the commandments um, in these uh, zero trust core principles. So we got to present the near final version of those on uh, on Monday and um, hoping that the recording is posted soon because uh, really interested in getting folks feedback. So I have a few uh, news items this last couple of weeks. The first one is the Microsoft Power Apps team has released a paper on best practices for security compliance and privacy which I think is absolutely fantastic because, you know, we're going to have people building these power apps who are not necessarily security experts or even coding experts for that matter. Uh, so I think it's fantastic that the team have put together a, a paper like that. Uh, we've also got a document that was released this week uh, on the psychology of social engineering, the soft side of cybercrime. Okay, I'll admit it's not 100% Azure related, but I think it's critically important that we understand that securing systems isn't just all about technology you know, and tooling that we have. There's also a very important human element 
both at the attacking end of the of the chain and also at the defender's side of the chain. This document really goes through some of the social engineering aspects, such as uh, principles of persuasion, influence, uh, essentially how to get people to do an attacker's bidding. I love so, the human side of it because, I mean, cyber is human conflict just over computers. Absolutely. Another document that was released was released by the Postgres SQL team. Uh, they have released a roll-up of the security and compliance certifications available for Azure Database for Postgres SQL. So it includes things like uh, HIPAA, high tech, high trust, uh, ISO 27001, ISO 27018, FedRAMP High, SOC 123. I could keep going, uh, but there will be links in the uh, in the show notes so you can go and take a look at that. Another interesting point is that Microsoft Graph uh, in the U.S. government cloud will be deprecating TLS 1.0 and 1.1 very shortly. That cutover is going to be August the 5th. On the topic of U.S. government, uh, there's also uh, not, not, not a lot of people know this, but there's also the U.S. government secret, uh, which is mainly for our Department of Defense customers. And we've now actually opened up the marketplace for ISVs for Azure government secret customers. So, again, that's a, a, you know, a good example of how we're opening up the Azure marketplace and just Azure in general for ISVs across the entire spectrum. So that's basically my my news for the last couple of weeks. So I'm with that, I'd like to introduce uh, our guest this week. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. Uh, Ryan, can you give us a, sort of the elevator pitch? Uh, what, does, what does Ryan do? Yeah, thanks. So my name is Ryan Makababad, and I am a senior security architect manager here at Microsoft. I lead a team of architects that work with our customers looking at identity through a security lens and help, helping our customers to implement the and, and architect the investments that they've made within the, the Microsoft platform. And that's really to help them get to a, a better and secure posture faster and, and really get that return on, on investment. What would you say are the biggest trends or, or pertinent issues with the customers that you work with at the moment? The things that I'm seeing uh, amongst our customers, the, the the trends is really a lot of it is pushed by the you know the crisis that our world is is going through right now, and that's a an acceleration of that. Uh, zero trust, a necessity to start implementing um, more secure authentication methods like multi-factor authentication, um, MFA, and then also understanding how the human element plays into all of that so that we can increase the security without increasing the friction on the end users. So when I talk about MFA, right, we look at the different breaches that happen all across the world, right? And phishing is one of the most prevalent methods that attackers are using for that initial breach. Attackers love passwords, right? Because they're easy to get a hold of. They're easy to uh, to replay. And so what we're seeing is that these organizations need to actually start implementing uh, additional authentication, stronger authentication methods. So we look at password as being kind of just like, that's not enough. It's, it's not a good way to go. Don't trust passwords only. And then you started seeing 
the MFA method where you have password plus SMS or a voice call. And that's better. That's better than, than just having passwords, but it's still not good enough. That can still be exploited. But the, the best thing really is uh, where we see companies starting to, to really invest in now and starting to try to figure out how to architect those solutions for their organizations, and that's passwordless. Things using Windows Hello, FIDO2, FIDO being uh, fast identity online, which is part of this, it's an open standard authentication method where you can use a, a security key or you can use, uh, in, in preview today, we have the FIDO2 through Microsoft Authenticator app. And the, the reason why this is more secure is because you're actually getting a challenge, right? So with Windows Hello, you have the TPM, the Trusted Platform Module, that is built into the computer. And with that, the key associated to that TPM is burned into that chip, that TPM chip, at the factory. And so it can only be with that that device. And it's very, very difficult to, to kind of crack that. Uh, I don't want to say impossible because, uh, you know, with, with technology, things are only impossible for a certain amount of time before they're, they're no longer impossible. But with FIDO2, security keys, you have to have that security key and um, you can use it to, you know, either have a challenge where you're, you're present, like you're pressing you're plugging in the key to your computer and then you're pressing it to say that you are actually there or you can have biometric FIDO2 security keys that actually read like your fingerprint, for example. And then with the Microsoft Authenticator app, you can actually go fully passwordless and just have a, uh, a challenge code. Um, like you might have like 67, 25, 92, and that is something that you have to select on your Microsoft Authenticator app in order to authenticate. So these are kinds of the, the common trends that we're seeing because they decrease the, the amount of friction that the end user gets while increasing security. That's a lot of stuff. Um, Ryan, what I hear sometimes when I, because sometimes I do get to talk about identity with customers, is sometimes they'll say when we talk about passwordless and all these really cool and, as you say, much more secure methods of authentication, I, you know, sometimes I say to customers will say to me, well, that's all well and good. You know, you're Microsoft, you're a big tech company and it's easy for you to implement these things. But, you know, for my business, it might be a lot smaller and maybe they have a much smaller or much less tech savvy user base. Um, sometimes customers think that it's not easy to do that. What What would you say to that? Oh, absolutely. It, it is hard, you know, um, it, it's not something that you can just open up a box and say, OK, there you go. Zero trust all across your environment. You have to plan. You have to start actually implementing practices instead of getting into this state of analysis paralysis. Like if I do this, then this will happen. And, you, you know, we have a lot of uh, security organizations, not just Microsoft. I'm, I'm talking about some of the biggest organizations and tech companies in the world that are, are studying this and that are part of things like the FIDO2 Alliance, right? And when, we, when I talked about like the trend of zero trust, right, there are 
a lot of companies that are investing in in helping their customers to get to this, and, and Microsoft included. With zero trust, you have this kind of historical, uh, like traditional mindset and mentality of on-premises networks being the security boundary and VPNs being uh, secured access with all users on the VPN being legitimate users. And that's just, that's, that's the days of yesterday. It's not the environment that we look at today. So uh, we start small, start by securing things like your identities, right? Start by enforcing conditional access for access to your most, most valuable resources. Ensuring that uh, your devices are patched that's one of the biggest things, to be honest, um, w- with the threat landscape today is it's just even patching on the cycle that you need to patch on. Right. You know, we have Patch Tuesday. We all know when Patch Tuesday is going to be. You can look that up on the Internet and, and find out exactly when it's going to be. Plan for that. Implement that within your change, uh, your change management cycle and then start like start talking across your organization about security and not just leave that to the one team that focuses on security. But like I said, my team is looking at identity through a security lens. We need that. We need to have our customers or these organizations to actually start talking to each other internally. What you see when that happens is that the ability to go to zero trust is vastly accelerated. So I worked with this one customer who the security team actually built up relationships with the identity and access management team. And so they were talking all the time. When I went and I visited them and I did I did workshops for them on endpoint security, we actually had both the identity folks and the and the security folks all in the same room. And let me tell you like their ability to move quickly, it absolutely surprised and astounded me. And so what happens is I saw a large organization that I would normally expect to take two to three years to move their identity and to implement their security strategies actually accomplish that in like nine months. Like think about the amount of time that is, you know, going from two or three years to a nine month period where you're getting to that better security posture. That's amazing. That's something that in, in the years that I've been here at Microsoft that I've never seen before. And then the other thing about that that group, and this might have also contributed to that, is that when I walked in the room, there was 50% women and 50% men. There were people from all walks of life. I talked to some folks and they were talking about, you know, how uh, there are different religious beliefs and stuff. And, um, you know, there were different people from different ethnicities and they were all working very well together. And I was just so surprised and astounded. And it's still like one of the best experiences that I've had with a customer to date. Having 50-50 or roughly 50-50 split in a room um, when we're doing tech meetings is very unusual. (laughs) Yes, extremely. And so like just they were doing it right. And so I think that when we take that kind of example, right, where they're having conversations and they really invested in relationships, that that is what allowed them to accelerate their work 
and and improve their security posture vastly from the time that I started working with them until the time that I stopped, um, that I moved roles. It was just, it was amazing. You already touched on this, but in terms of like the implications of of doing uh, more identity controls, um, often people associate as you said, um, more security controls, uh, particularly in the identity space, with with more friction. How have you got around that, or um, how have you have you and your team kind of tried to sort of dispel that that myth? Um, because it's not necessarily true, though it has been in the past, right? Absolutely. Historically, customers, organizations have gone to best of breed model, and so they would have maybe 15 different agents running on their machines. And that has a huge impact on things like performance, things like uh, user experience, you know, boot times. I was just having a conversation uh, yesterday about how for some people it will take five minutes just to boot their machine. And if it takes them five minutes to boot their machine, say they have a technical issue in the middle of a meeting and they have to reboot, that means that they're gone from that meeting for five minutes. And the rest of the people on that meeting are also impacted by by those five minutes. And so you've got five minutes X, the, the number of people that are in that meeting, not to mention having to, you know, wait for everything to boot up, wait for everything to all the applications to start, for example, right? And so... What we're seeing is that customers are starting to look at how can I get best of platform instead of best of breed, right? How can I make sure that all of the things that I'm using are actually working well together? And they have this expectation that if I'm purchasing this one thing from this, this company, that this other thing that I purchased from that company is going to be integrated without me having to do anything that it will already work well together. And and so that's something that we're seeing. And a really great example of this is uh, Brad Anderson. Brad Anderson is the CVP of, of MEM, Modern Endpoint Management. And so what he does is he actually, he actually talks about the whole workplace experience uh, end to end. And so when he does these uh, EBCs, these executive briefing uh, conferences, he'll go in there and he'll talk to the he'll talk to these uh, C-level folks from various different companies. And one of the demos that he does is is rebooting his machine. Now this is a CVP. He's he's pretty impactful. He has to have all the stuff on his on his device. He has to dog food everything just like we do because he's in engineering. And so he will re- reboot his device and log on in, in less than 10 seconds. I think the last time that I saw him present, it took him 11 seconds to shut down his machine, reboot it, and log in, and be presenting again. And that's that's crazy. You know, when you have that kind of impact on every single day that you're working you know, those minutes, they add up. And, and that's the kind of impact that we're seeing on, on our devices when we just overload them with one, one product after another after another, particularly with, with security products. And we're seeing that customers have had historically like 15 different security products on one endpoint. 
And then not only that, you get into this point of like having to manage all of the devices uh, across the organizations. And, and so what happens is that people start taking shortcuts. This goes back to the human element. You know, we have to make sure that we are decreasing the amount of friction that are on end users. And that includes the admins, right? So a lot of times what we'll see is there'll be like local admin accounts that have the same password all across the organization. Why? Because that makes it easier for the admin to manage that workstation. And so they're not using things like LAPS, the local administration password solution, which will help secure it. Or they might be logging into that user's device using their admin password, using their admin account. And now their admin account credentials are on that device. That user gets phished. Now that attacker has all of the credentials that are on that device. Well, we don't want to do that, right? We want to make sure that we're using things like a tiered approach, you know, uh, tier zero, tier one, tier two, and having these credential boundaries between all of the different resources that we access. You know, you have your tier two where your your user sits and your your user computers sit. You have your your apps and, and servers, the crown jewels, the, the things that allow your business to run in tier one. And then you have your domain admins, your enterprise admins, all of the different admins that exist in that tier zero. And you can look at this in the in the Microsoft documentation where it goes through and actually explains what is in each tier and how to create those boundaries, those credential boundaries. Cool. And just for everyone listening, we'll put the link to that documentation in the show notes so so you can go and check it out for yourself. If you were gonna give, you know, some either the top couple of pieces of advice on identity or any quick wins that you could advise our listeners in the identity space, what would it be? Enable MFA. Some MFA is better than none. So if the only way that you can implement MFA is SMS and voice, then do it. Don't wait until you are able to do some other solution. Do it now. Do it today. Implement MFA because like I said, some is better than none. Um, and then the second thing is that um, going back to that uh, human element, we don't have enough security professionals in the world today to to handle the secure the the threat landscape that exists today. We need to we need to think like our attackers, and our attackers don't go and just find uh, find somebody who has a a degree or find somebody who has five years experience, right? They teach people. They train them. They find their 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 protege, and that's what we need to do. We need to teach people. We need to cross train. Attackers will move laterally throughout an organization. Why can't our our employees move laterally across an organization? We can teach somebody who is primarily focused on identity and access management how to how to think about identity through a security lens. We can do that. We don't have to rely and be dependent solely on our security professionals. We need to build those relationships. We need to make sure that we're building our security professionals from the ground up and even before they get to our organization. And and that takes time and investment and a willingness to not just, you know, wait for that person who has a bachelor's degree or a master's degree. I mean, cybersecurity degrees didn't even start popping up until like five years ago. 
And, and so, you know, we really have to start, start at the very beginning and, and build our pipeline. Yeah. And as somebody who has, um, I guess my last comment of the day is as someone who has a history degree, but has worked in technical IT my entire career, I also very much feel that, you know, you, you don't need a, a cybersecurity degree, as you say, Ryan, they, they've only started popping up very recently. You know, we can teach tech. It's more about just the will to learn and aptitude, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, if I can just add one last last comment there as well. A number of customers have asked me over the years, you know, where do we go to, to get cybersecurity skills? And my answers have always kind of been the same. I mean, sure, there's some, you know, some great schools out there, but have you ever thought about just growing the expertise in, in-house, actually working with your own employees who currently know the business very, very well, who are technically sound, and just growing some of those people and making them cybersecurity experts? You may find that's actually a much more cost-effective route to go. Yeah, or even hiring from security-minded fields like the military, uh, the the police department, finance. Finance is very, very concerned about security. So yeah, absolutely. Hey, well, thank you so much, Ryan, for your time this week. We really appreciate it. And we thank everyone for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll see you guys next time on the Azure Security Podcast. Thanks again. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixer.org and licensed under the Creative Commons license.